You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Malcolm Gault has been president of Hyde School, a private boarding school focused on character education since 1998 and recently became executive chairman. Laura Gald is now president of Hyde School, and she runs the school. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And it probably goes without saying, but you, you are married to each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. The and mis- parents. And parents of three <laughs> children? Three grown. Three grown children. Yes. I'm interested in um, the work that you've been doing really for multiple decades now mm-hmm. with the Hyde School. Uh, because your school has become really known around, at least around the country, maybe around mm-hmm. the world, for the type of education that it offers. Mm-hmm. It's unique. It's very unique. Actually, the, the original campus, which is here in Bath, Maine, was founded by Malcolm's father, Joseph Galt, and that was a little over 50 years ago. So he basically started with a hypothesis. If if you focused on character, would achievement follow? So that was, you know, that was what he set out to test. And then later in the mid 70s, uh, we realized that if you want to reach the deepest part of kids, you know, there's two big influencers. So you have the parents, you have the peer group. So we were covering the peer group, but then we had to engage the parents. And so really, I would say the two big differentials at Hyde is character development not not just you know poster on the wall but real character development and then parent involvement parent engagement parent growth as the most important role models for the students how old are your children now do, do you know or do you want me I, I know I <laughs> think okay, good. Let's, uh, 20, let's test. 27 25 and 23 so as I was reading this book, The Biggest Job We'll Ever Have, which was published in 2001, written by both of you. Um, I was reading some older stories mm-hmm. about, I believe, um, a daughter who was giving some difficulty at the age of four with potty training. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So that was a few years ago then. Uh-huh. Yes. Many. And, uh, and that, that was, she was our feisty, take-no-prisoners, spirited child. And not to put labels, but you tend to do that. Um, and at 27, she is still feisty, take no prisoners, spirited. Um, but I've learned along the way how, you know, what to take hold of and what to let go of. And, and because I think where that potty training story was the beginning of my issue as her mother trying to control her. 
And the more I tried to control her, the, the more difficult it got. And what I learned going through this parent program and learning some of these things that we talk about was, um, you know, focus on myself, like not try to seek her love and just let go of any guilt that you feel and just like focus on what I needed to do. And even today, I always preference, like even when she came home, I said, you know, something was going on and you know, I'm, I'm, I see that she's got to deal with something. I was like, you know, would you like any input? And she's like, well, I know what you're going to say. I was like, well, you know, hey, I don't need to say it, honey. It's your life. And of course, when I let go, next thing you know, she's like, no, I, I do want to hear what you have to say. So I think the essence of our kids when they're born, the spirit of our kids is all unique. So, but she tested me in a way that no other human being has ever tested me in my life. I mean, not even my own mother. This child was put on this earth <laughs> to help me be a better person. And I love her dearly. You weren't entirely sure that you wanted to be a teacher. Is that right, Malcolm? Uh, I thought I wanted to do it for a little while, a couple of years maybe. And I started out in the late 70s and I was, oh, I don't know, going to go to law school or something like that. And then uh, I think what happens to a lot of us teachers is I got hooked on it after a while. I, I did spend some time in the business world in my late 20s, but uh, uh, found that uh, working with kids, I'm not looking at my watch. I'm not wondering what time it is. I'm, I found myself thoroughly engrossed in it. And uh, so that's what I've been doing now for 40 years. You started out at Hyde School also. I went to Hyde School. You went to Hyde, yeah. Hyde School uh, before you went on to Bowdoin and then Harvard. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, the joke in our family is uh, Joe Gauld had to start a school so his son would have a place to go. So uh, I went there for four years myself and had a huge impact on me. Uh, and I think many things are different today about the school, but, but the core is still the same. Uh, and that is the focus on character development and uh, uh, unique purpose in life. Uh, that those those two things together that, that character is often viewed it's talked about a lot today in America but it's talked about I think maybe as an end in itself whereas we believe that it it, it is the key to your destiny and we need to develop our character if we're going to be the special unique person we were meant to be and I think that's what we're trying to do I mean I I the whole time I've been an educator for 40 years, I've heard about this thing called education reform, okay? I even remember my parents talking about it when I was a little kid. So it makes you wonder, when does this thing actually kick in? When do we actually do this thing called reform? And what we believe is that there's a fundamental flaw in our schooling system in our country. And that flaw, we believe, is we care more about what they can do than about who they are and they know it and I'm talking about the kids in America we're focused on what they can do we're not focused on who they are and so what we try to do at Hyde I think what we were trying to do then and what we're trying to do now is focus on who you are right and I think we what we've found is if you get kids to focus on what they can control and there's really only three things you know their attitude how much effort they put in and their character. Um, most kids are gonna 
do pretty well. They're going to also achieve. They're going to have achievement. And you know, achievement's important. Like, we don't want our kids sitting on the couch and, and not showing up for life. But the overemphasis on achievement. And of course, the biggest change I've seen is the parent, um, the parent involvement, the parent enmeshment, the parent desperately needing friendship with our kids. So you think how when we were raised, you know, my 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 stepfather had no interest in a relationship with me. Like he had his own friends. He didn't he didn't want he, he no more cared about whether or not we were like having a conversation and you know he was raising me. And thank goodness. And you know, and yet with our own kids, I got in off track because like I wanted a relationship with them. And and then I see even more today. The biggest change is how to help the parents, you know, how to help the adults in this culture get back to, um, you know, giving them the help that they need. Because I, I, also, I also think we have a culture too where unless you have a huge problem, you, you don't ask for help. You gotta figure it out, you know? You don't, you know, sometimes the people who really have the, the big problems, they sometimes get liberated because they get to ask for help. You've done a series of workshops called Biggest Job, and it's all they're all about parenting. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was struck by was um, was the raft experiment, mm-hmm. where you created a, a raft uh, made out of tape, I guess, mm-hmm. on the floor, <laughs> right. and then you asked someone to step on the raft and try to keep the raft balanced as if it were really in the water. And then you successively added more people to that raft as though they were part of a family and asked people to observe what the dynamic was as you added more people to that. And it really made me think about how, as a family, we can get pulled off course if we don't understand that you can have one person on the raft who's creating a lot of disturbance and then you can have somebody else on the raft who's doing most of the work to keep it balanced. And that's something that I don't, you know, as we become parents, we're just so, we're just trying to keep them alive at first. And Mm -hmm. then over time, sometimes we don't even recognize that family dynamics have gotten distorted. Right. And, And what we try to say in that exercise, it's so, you're right to pick that out because that is such a visual for people because everybody can relate to some role on that raft. But the point of that exercise is you got to ask yourself, what's at the center of our family? And is it fuzziness is it confusion you know because you're often bringing different people together from different upbringings is it a person like if that person's having a good day we're all having a good day or is it a set of principles what are your values what are your go-to things what are you all about and and what we learned is if any time we had I'm, I'm thinking anytime we had an issue with our kids it was usually we're not aligned with our principles. It really wasn't the kid's behavior. That was the, the alarm. And the other thing that RAF exercise shows, you know, we ask kids and we ask adults, how many of you have ever been at the center of the RAF? Lots of people play that role. And then you have the person you just add and you say to them, you take whatever role you feel you need to take, okay? And then you get out of the way. And a lot of times there are kids in a family who are flying under the radar. 
They might be smoking pot. They're just smoking it in the basement, not out in the back porch where the rebel is smoking it. Um, but they don't, they, they're not, nobody's, nobody's challenging them because they might be achieving. They might not be, they might be compliant, you know. And then you have the primary wrath balancer, which was me. It's a lot of moms. It's not always the moms. I don't want to, like, go gender here. But a lot of times it is. It was me. I was the primary wrath balancer. And then in some ways, I pushed my husband out. And then I had to realize, wait a minute, we're not even working as a team. I'm upset with him for not stepping up, but I've given him no place to step up. So the raft is a great way for everybody to kind of say, all right, where are we? Where do we want to go? What shifts do we all have to make? Because at the end of the day, when you make a shift, you can never fix a person in your family. But when you make a shift, you, you create an opening. And I'd, I'd also add that one thing I've noticed over the last 40 years is, is the line of who's responsible for what has really maybe never been as blurred as it is now. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember it was around this time of my senior year in high school when we were having dinner at home one night. My mother turned to me and said, so what are you doing about that college thing anyway? You know, and I outlined, I was looking at some schools, and uh, I even picked a, I, I sort of picked a strategy where I, I applied to four really competitive schools where I could have easily been rejected at all of them, and my mother heard my my uh, strategy, and she said, well, that doesn't sound like a very good strategy, you know, it's, you ought to have some fallbacks, and you ought to, that, that's, so she sort of threw in, but she also said, but it's your life, you know, good luck. Uh, I don't know many parents today that handle it that way. The parents are very engaged right into helping write the essay and making, you know, it's just, there is an engagement that I don't think is right. And I think it's, uh, it went from maybe being maybe even too much my problem to uh, the parent owning way too much of it. And I think that's maybe a metaphor for uh, a lot of what we're seeing now. And I think that raft exercise can help sort that out too, of, of who's, Who's responsible for what? I think it can be hard <clears throat> if you are the parent who is maybe giving your child more responsibility um, to see that you're a little bit alone in this mm -hmm. when you look around and all the other parents mm -hmm. are hiring college coaches and they're taking their kid to 20 different schools around the country starting their sophomore year. And they're, it, it, as a parent and even as a child who's observing this, it, it can be hard to uh, stand your ground somewhat. Well, you, 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 again, you think about when we had the neighborhood growing up and there were lots of norms that some of them were just not, they were unspoken norms, but they were norms. And if you were out of line, any parent could discipline you you accepted that, you knew your parents would do that. I know when we raised our kids, even in Maine, small town, there were people who were like, don't talk to my kid. And we tried to set the example, but there is a little bit of, you're right, this fear in the achievement race, that if you kind of let go and step back, your child may lose their place in line. And what is part of my mission in life is really more than even working at a school is helping parents realize that that the greatest gift you can give your kids 
is um, to let go of the achievement. And focus on the character. Set an example of always reinventing yourself, always growing, always changing. And, and then you can sit back. And it doesn't mean the problems go away, but I feel like now we're getting some of the payback as our grown kids, they're no longer kids, but they're always gonna be my kids, uh, are adults. And they, I am so proud of them. You know, they have issues. They have successes, they have failures. They're not my trophy case. They belong to them and I get to now Luckily, they want us in their lives, and that's a wonderful thing. But, I mean, I had, we had to, like you say, you have to roll that dice. And I've seen people where, you know, kids that were pushed on the achievement track, okay, and they got into the grade schools, and they fell apart uh, down the road of life because they never knew how to fail. They never took a risk. And again, we still try to help those people because we say, hey, you're a great person and you're failing, so what are you going to do? Pick yourself up, deal with it. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. We have to put the weight of our foot somewhere as a society. And you know, you even see what's going on today with you know the sexual harassment and all that. I think as a culture, maybe we are seeing let's look at this through the character lens, not through the political lens. Well, I think it's the same thing as parenting. Let's view our kids through the character lens. And if we do that, um, especially if you have high expectations, uh, your kids are gonna achieve. You know? And the great thing about their achievements is they won't be achievements you did that they never really get the confidence from. Because as Mal said, you paved the way. You called that school. You got them in there. You wrote the excuse. Uh, you minimized that. So they're not going to feel, they're not going to have the great confidence that comes from that achievement if it's not theirs. One of the stories that you told, um, Malcolm, was about a soccer team that you were the coach of. And it was a group of girls who weren't really taking themselves seriously. They weren't winning any games, but that wasn't even the problem. The mm -hmm. problem was that they weren't showing up in their scrimmage outfits, mm -hmm. their practice outfits. They were bringing their purses and the makeup, and there was a lot of, mm -hmm. um, I guess, inattention to the reason why they were on a soccer team. And so rather than um, preach at them, you just said, listen, this is a soccer team. We're gonna, we're gonna act like a soccer team. It's almost like an act as if. Maybe you're not going to win. It's completely fine. Move the, move the body and the mind will follow a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And then by the maybe the second season, they were actually asking for additional opportunities to do winter soccer, and they were actually starting to win. But you didn't. You weren't browbeating them, and it wasn't about your ego and whether they won or not. It was make it possible for them to engage in the behavior that might lead them to success which is important. Well, I, I, and I had been an athlete and played sports in college and had taken it very seriously and it was a big part of my life. And, and so here I had these kids who weren't looking at it that way. Uh, and I had coached kids who were, so I had had that too. But uh, 
I think one of the things we do at Hyde is that's unique is um, we, we like to say that we don't have extracurricular activities. Um, everything's co-curricular. I mean, everybody does academics, everyone does athletics, everyone does performing arts and community service. And we, we test ourselves in a wide variety of ways. You're going to probably do some things you're good at. You're going to do some things you're not good at. Everyone's going to see you do both. Uh, and so we don't so first, I mean, we don't look at something like soccer as an add-on, as an extracurricular activity. We, we view it, that's a character-building opportunity. And so that's what we did there. And, and it wasn't, I mean, winning is fun, and we like to do that. But, but, but you know, we're going to, let's be the best we can be. I mean, let's be the best soccer team we can be, you know, with what we have. And that first season, that meant zero wins and eight losses. And I remember we scored a goal around the fourth game, and we were the kids were jumping up and down like we won the Super Bowl or something. But, but uh, I think that. Uh, but it taught me something uh, about uh, that. You, you kind of take the kids where they are, and I think uh, and and build from there. Uh, I mean, I and I think that's true in academics too. I mean, one of the things that I like to do is. I'll often run a school meeting where I'll, I'll ask the question, how many of you have been told that you're bright kids who don't apply yourself? And every hand goes up. And I, I like to tweak them a little bit and go, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's not true. And they go, what do you mean? I go, some of you aren't bright. I'm not gonna name any names, but, but we're, that's the way we look at it in this country. And we've done that that way for a while. We, our first priority is how bright the person is or how bright the person is not. And we generally don't even talk about that. If someone's not bright, we just don't tell them. Um, but what we try to do is let's focus, forget about that. Let's just um, work hard and see what happens. Let's focus, put the effort first rather than how and the thing that's encouraging is is so many people out there like like uh, Angela Duckworth and Carol Dweck and Paul Tuff uh, are 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 kind of coming around to that idea that as as Carol Dweck says if you praise kids for being bright uh, if you praise kids for being for working hard they'll work hard in tough times and try to rise to the top if you praise them for being bright they will uh, avoid challenges where they don't look good uh, because they want you to say that to them and, and they'll think that if they don't do well, they're not bright. So uh, there's a lot, it's, it's encouraging actually to see, to see our culture maybe coming around to that. I, I completely agree with this idea that <clears throat> we are focusing so much on achievement and um, external things being motivators for kids, whether it's getting into the right college, whether it's winning the right championship, whether it's um, scoring the right scores on your SATs. And then, and even, and specifically, I think about kids in, in high school athletics, you know, that they, you're on this track for such a long time. And then I will often see as patients, people who have, they reach the end of the road and there's no, there's nothing external to achieve anymore. And there's a sense of emptiness, and some people even get very depressed about it. So, by giving setting people up with a certain structure when they're younger, you're really putting them at a disadvantage when they're older. Well, example that I'd give on that, I've been on, this is maybe one of my latest harangues, maybe, is um, I, I've had a lifelong love of athletics. I still play, uh, we call it geezer lacrosse and old man basketball and stuff like that, and. And I and I you know here I am in my my 60s and 
looking back over my athletic life, I most of the athletics I played were on a field unsupervised by adults. Okay, there was a ball out there, and you pick up teams, you settle disputes, you, you. Uh, it was not adult controlled. And now the athletes that I see, including our own children who are involved in this, uh, very much travel teams, uh, adult controlled. Uh, the adults determine the playing time, and and. Uh, and at the end, uh, I don't know if you're going to love it, if they're going to love it as much uh, if they don't have that experience. And, and maybe, we're, maybe we're doing a little too much of that, not just in, in, uh, in athletics, but in other endeavors as well. And I think, I think I would add to that that, like anything, whether it's sports, whether your achievements came through music or through an academic field, at the end of the day, if you don't have the great confidence in yourself, if you're getting your your confidence from some exterior decision, and you think, you know, you have to help people, teach them to be lifelong learners. So yeah, it's tough. You're no longer an elite athlete, or you're no longer at the top of your game here. But I think we've always tried to encourage the adults in our communities, the parents and the teachers, we're doing character here, so you got to keep working on your unique potential. You have to keep changing. We just had a in-service day with all of the adults, and the whole focus was challenging each other to, you know, um, where do you need to reinvent yourself? Where are you feeling stale? And why are we doing that? We're doing that to be role models for the kids. So in fact, you end up like you say, you, you know, there's always juncture points in your life. It's hard when your kids don't need you anymore. It's hard when you, you know, when they go to their first job, when you realize that's it. Yeah, you got to cry a little, and then you got to pick yourself up. You got to reinvent yourself, and you got to move to the next thing. And and um, and I think you have a better chance of doing that if you've experienced the joys of some failure and some struggle as well as it's wonderful to, to win championships and succeed. But you know, those girls on that team, and I remember because we were young teachers back then, those girls on that team continue to talk about that season because they reinvented themselves as athletes. And, and some of them went on to you know, play in college. Others didn't, but they look back on that. That was a benchmark for them. There's a, I said it, I think it was a set of nine different things that you talked ten. to, ten different things, that makes more sense, I guess, ten is more even number, <laughs> that you talked about over the course of the book, and one of the biggest ones was harmony versus truth, right. which I think is very important, because we have gotten into this strange society of niceness, and wanting everything to be good and happy, and that really has put us in a weird place, I think, as a culture. And it does this in families as well. That priority is number one. It's truth over harmony. So it's trying to remind all of us, at the end of the day, you put the weight of your foot in being truthful over the harmony. Um, it's, I think, the most important thing, and not just as a family, but in an organization and uh, school. And, uh, company um, and I would go back to a school though and a family 
what happens is the kids don't want to tell us the truth. And then as adults, we don't want to know the truth. We say we want to know the truth. And we say, truth is the most important thing. This is the only thing we'll spank you. You know, we said all that. But at the end of the day, the truth screws you up. And the truth gets in the way of your plans. And then you got to stop, drop, and deal. And then you got to look like a circus act with the local town. And you know, we had all those things where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's blowing up in the restaurant. We wrote a book on parenting. You know, should we just like dampen this down? And you have to then say, screw it, liberate yourself. And it's the same thing in an organization. Like I know almost on a daily basis, when I deal with my colleagues, there's always a thing in my head, okay, how honest are we gonna be? Are we going full honesty, like full frontal honesty, or are we going to just go harmony here? And again, it's not like you walk around telling everybody the truth, because that's not a It's great, not truth instead of that, harmony. That's, that's not a good <laughs> just thing over. in an organization always, but you're aware, like at the end of the day. And one of the things we have in the Hyatt organization with the adults is we're going to strive to put truth over harmony. So if that appeals to you, if that appeals to you as, as an adult, we're excited to have you here. If that's something that you don't really want to be a part of, that's okay too. It's just, this is our culture. And again, in our family, we try to say, at the end of the day, guys, this is what we do. You know, and even when it screws things up. One of, the, one of the things that, it's an old Hyde tradition, one of our oldest, is uh, the way we do faculty evaluations. I always tell people when we do, when we have faculty interviews, you always watch, we tell them how we do evaluations to see how they're gonna take it. But we do them live, where the faculty member sits on the stage in front of the whole school, and we ask the student body, what are the positive points of Mr. Jones's teaching? And the second question is, what are the things Mr. Jones needs to work on? And then third, is there anything special you'd like to say to Mr. Jones? And we've had that same format for over 30 years. And you think the kids would tee off on the faculty, but what ends up happening is they can't believe that the adults would ever put themselves in such a vulnerable position that they go the other way. They tend to go kid gloves a little bit. And all we're saying is, is, is Let's take the things that are being said in the locker room anyway, and let's bring them out into the open. And so it's not just something for the kids. It's it's something, you know, we're all trying to, I always tell the kids, I'm, I'm 63 years old. I don't have all the character I need. You know, I, I, you know, I'm still working. I'm still a work in progress. We try to try to promote that idea that every one of us is a work in progress, and we need some help to move along. So... As parents, one of the things that you bring up is that it's never too late. And even though we've been talking mostly about kids who are up to the age of high school and maybe a little bit beyond, I would think that it's never too late to work on being a parent, really, even when your kids are adults. Absolutely. We sometimes say it's never too late to be what you might have been, you know. Uh, and yeah. It's never too late, I would say to anybody. Um, as Mel said, you're, you're always, we're trying to, you know, I know with my own kids there were times where I let them down because I wasn't in the best place I needed to be. I think overall they, they got a pretty good mom. And, um, but, 
you can't go back. And when you feel guilt about things you didn't do, but what you can do, if you're breathing, okay, you're a parent if you have a kid, and you're going to be that parent until you take that last breath. And so if you start with yourself, and it's great to be able to say to your kids, you know, I'm sorry about that. You know, I let you off the hook a lot in that area, and that's one thing I, I you know, I know I, and I'm sorry I did that, and here's how I'm gonna move forward. Or if you make a change, and you realize you're, you're you know, you're not feeling great about where your grown children are, um, you know, make a change yourself, and, and that creates that ripple effect. But um, sure, it's never too early, it's never too late, and, and it's an ongoing process. And you have to believe, I think, that there's a little bit of an act of faith. I mean, I mean, sometimes we do something with our kids and they, they don't respond, it doesn't work, and we go, oh my God, that didn't work, you know, and, and so then, I know I've had the experience as an educator where the kid calls you up 25 years later and says mm -hmm. something that you did way back. I just had one of those recently, and and you know you just don't know. I mean, you have to believe that it's the right thing, and but it, it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. It's not like as a parent, if I do this with my child, that's going to come back at within our family in in within a month. Um, you, you have there's there's definitely an act of faith. Uh, um, it, somebody once said about teaching that you know the teacher has to accept the idea that you never get to know where your influence ends, uh, and I think that's true about parenting also. And I also think if you're a, <clears throat> if you're a person out there who doesn't have kids, there's lots of people out there that need committed adults and need parents, need role models, and so um, you know there's just look around even in this state. There's such a need out there for young people to have role models with aspirations and who can share their failures and who can show their grit and what they've gone through. So, you know, it's not just taking care of our own family. It's like looking around and saying, how do we help those people right now who don't aren't lucky enough? Near the end of my somebody. coaching days, I got into this little ritual that I would do the end of every game I would go up to a kid on the other team and pull him, him or her aside and say you know hey, boy you really you really gave us a rough day today you know you're a great job and good luck and and it, it, you, your other your kids see you do that and it, it, it becomes a little less of a us against them and a little bit more we're in this community trying to help help all kids uh, be the best they can be well, I look forward to your next book or books. It sounds like there's a few in the works, so we'll see whenever those are out. I'll make sure that I have a chance to read them. Good luck Great. with those. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Malcolm Gauld, who has been president of the Hyde School, a private boarding school focused on character education since 1998 and recently became executive chairman, and Laura Gauld, who is now the president of Hyde School and runs the school. And I'm married with three children. Congratulations on successfully bringing them to adulthood. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for all of the hard work that you're doing in the state of Maine and being here today. Great. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. 
Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.